Okay. Now I um, don't know if you've come across this on the internet or not, but there are some folk who try to summarize films into just one sentence, uh, trying to condense the whole film into one sentence. And I'm going to try some of these out on you and see if you can guess the film uh, from these summaries. Uh, with it being the internet, I was quite limited on the ones I could share. A lot of them weren't particularly appropriate, but I feel that these ones hopefully are all good. Uh, but the first one is this. See if you can work out the film from this summary. Group spends nine hours returning jewellery. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yes. Well done. Next one. Chartered fishing trip goes horribly wrong. You're really good at all of this. Have you, you have seen all of these already, haven't you? I thought it would at least take a couple of minutes. Well, this one. Father reunites with long-lost son, wants him to take over the family business. So quick. Which Star Wars, though, is the question? <laughs> this, uh, my, um, yeah, so it is Star Wars. Now, my knowledge of Star Wars really isn't that great, I'm, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, but I believe it's from Return of the Jedi, uh, which I think is now episode six of the Star Wars um, saga. Can we call it, let's call it Star Wars saga. Uh, but anyway, the, so it, people will, will try and summarize uh, and, and to condense something down into a fairly short statement or definition. And while you were able to identify the films, it doesn't actually portray the fullness of that story. Particularly Lord of the Rings, right, Carrie? There's so much more to that story than just a group of people spending hours returning jewellery somewhere. That is not the fullness of it. That definition, that summary, doesn't really convey the fullness of what has happened or what is happening. And I want us to bear that in mind today because our focus for this morning is all about the kingdom of God and being able to understand what the kingdom of God is. Now, this fits in as part of our current series where we're working our way through, journeying through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark over Lent. And we're working our way through. So during the week, we're reading some passages, some chapters as we go, and then we're stopping off each Sunday to unpack and explore some of that together. Uh, and then again, we'll come back next week on our journey and we'll, we'll kind of pick up somewhere else. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this, this morning. But last week, right at the beginning of Mark, when Mike was speaking to us, Mike's starting point for us was this, about how back in Mark 1 and from, um, from verse 14, it says that Jesus, at the start of his ministry, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the kingdom of God... This declaration, this proclamation of a kingdom coming was very much at the centre, very primary to Jesus' teaching, Jesus' purpose, Jesus' mission, Jesus' ministry, and this call for people to repent, to turn away from their old lives, and to follow him as king, and to put their hope in the gospel, the good news of what God has done, or is going to do, through Jesus. You see, Jesus was the messenger of the kingdom. That was his message. And we're talking about the kingdom, we're thinking just as a starting point to help us, the kingdom is God's rule over people's hearts and lives and being established. So when the kingdom has come in, it's God's rule over people's hearts and lives being established. And then in Mark chapter 4, 
what we're going to actually look at together is a couple of parables that Jesus used to explain a little further in terms of actually this is what the gospel is like. I need you to understand actually what it is. So if you want to turn there, if you haven't already, we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 4 in just a moment. But just to catch up kind of what's happened between where Mike finished last week in Mark 1 and Mark chapter 4, we don't just want to skip by it, but actually it's important that we understand what Jesus was doing between chapters 1 and to chapter 4. It's not just incidental, uh, actually it's really important what he was doing. And what you'll see over those two chapters is Jesus is in Galilee and he's going around from place to place and he's healing those who are sick. He's bringing freedom from sickness and infirmity. He's teaching as he goes. He's proclaiming this kingdom. He's calling people to repentance. He's calling people to to hope on the gospel. He's gathering people together. He's calling people. Mike last week was focusing on how he called the first disciples. And then he chose out of the disciples, he chose 12 as the apostles. We see him calling someone else called Levi. He calls Levi to come and follow him and to come and join him. We see big crowds gathering. We see Jesus with smaller groups of people. We see him answering questions. We see him challenging people's ways of thinking. We also see that he came to the attention of Jewish leaders who travelled all the way from Jerusalem into Galilee to come and see what was going on and to bring challenge to Jesus. And so we see all of that. So if you haven't yet had an opportunity to read that, I'd really encourage you to do that, to see this is what Jesus' ministry looked like. This is what Jesus was giving himself to. So when we come now to read from, from chapter 4, we've seen, we've just had a glimpse of what has been going on already before Jesus comes to explain a bit more about the kingdom. Now there's actually three parables that Jesus uses one after the other. We're going to look just at two of them. Um, that's all I'm looking to cover today. But again, have a read of the parable that comes before this as well. But let's read this together. We're going to read from uh, Mark 4 and from verse 26. So Jesus said, The kingdom of God as, as is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So going back to where we started, thinking about actually, is it possible to summarize things in just one sentence or one brief definition? Actually, we need to understand that when Jesus is now using these parables, he uses three here, but throughout the Gospels, we see more parables that Jesus uses to explain the kingdom. The reason why is because the fullness of the kingdom cannot be tucked into a summary or a definition. Those things can be helpful. And actually, I started with a little bit of a definition of what the gospel is, just as a bit of a starting point for it. But it cannot 
It cannot contain the fullness of what the gospel of God, sorry, what the kingdom of God is. And so here Jesus uses three parables to draw out, just to help people to understand and to comprehend, using illustrations and pictures. Just again, just to, to help explain what the kingdom of God is and what he has come to do. And through these parables, actually, we see the importance of the kingdom. That it's not a secondary issue. That it's not something that is kind of just tagged onto the side of, of what it is to follow Jesus or the side of, of Christianity. Actually, it is at, it is at the centre of what Jesus has come to do. I'm actually going to start at the end. In verse 32, in this second parable, Jesus speaks of this, uh, of this tree that has grown up and has become larger than all of the garden plants and has put out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And for us, we can think, this is an interesting picture. I'm not quite sure I understand what he's getting at. But we need to recognise that at the time, for those who were listening, they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. And exactly what Jesus was referencing. Because there's a theme through the Old Testament prophets where this imagery of this tree was used often by the prophets. You would see it in Daniel chapter 4 and Ezekiel 17. Where in both of those uh, prophecies that come through we see these visions or we see these dreams of this great tree. That can be seen from, from anywhere on earth. And that stretches from the ground up to heaven. And it produces shelter, and it produces a home, and it produces food for every living creature. And it's this image of this, this tree is this image of that which connects heaven and earth. That which connects heaven and earth. You see, we recognize, don't we, that this world is broken. And it's broken in so many ways. We see death and we see suffering and we see sickness. We see so much else where we recognise that that is a broken world in which we live. But that is not the way it has always been. See, when God created, when God created everything, everything was perfect. God looked at it and he said, it is good. And he created uh, he created humanity to come and have a relationship with him. And God dwelt with people here on earth. God was present in the garden with Adam and Eve. But then as sin enters in, as, as people decided, actually, I'm, I'm going to choose to live my own way rather than seeking to follow the will of God, that relationship is fractured. And, and as we've been looking at over a number of weeks now, Actually, the effects of that means that all of creation has been broken. All of creation has been fractured. All of creation has been compromised. And so actually, if you like, there's this, there's this disconnect between heaven and earth. But what these prophets were living with was this, this vision of what was going to do of the presence of God re-entering of the world being turned back into the home that we were built for and so when Jesus is using this imagery of this tree the people who were listening would have it would have resonated with them ah we've heard this before 
This is what the prophets had told us that would happen. This disconnect between heaven and earth. There would be a bridge, something that connects the two again. And in the Old Testament, it's not just an imagery of a tree. There's mountains or staircases as well. But it's a consistent theme through that one day the presence of God will re-enter and the world will be turned back into a home, the home which we were built for. See, Jesus was the messenger of the kingdom, but he is also the king of the kingdom. And it's Jesus is the one who comes and bridges that gap. It's Jesus who's the one who comes and establishes the kingdom of God, the presence of God re-entering into the world, heaven and earth, connecting back together. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is. This is what the kingdom of God is about. It's about reconciling God and his creation. It's about restoration between God and his creation. And Jesus, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, has made a way for that kingdom to be established. And for those who put their trust in him, who, remember, repent and believe in the gospel to turn away from their old lives and say, actually, I'm not going to live with myself as king of my life, but I'm going to live with Jesus as king of my life and seek to live a life of obedience to him. For those that do that, they become citizens of a new kingdom. They become citizens of the kingdom of God. And so, as Jesus is, that's why the main thrust of, of Jesus' ministry is this the kingdom of God is coming. God and man reconciled, brought back together. That which has been broken, being made new, being restored, being made whole. But Jesus doesn't start there when he's talking about the kingdom. Did you notice this? Both of the parables that we've read start with something small. They start with seeds. And what we hope with all seeds is that seeds will grow. We see it, didn't we, in the the first parable. He said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. But the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the air is a process that this growth has to go through in order for it to reach maturity and for it to, to, reach, uh, to reach ripeness. And then the second parable, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows. When it is sown, it grows. You see, the people had been waiting They had been waiting with an expectation that God's kingdom would come suddenly and would come at once. If we can put it this way, they were expecting the kingdom of God to be an event rather than a process. But what we see actually in in these parables that Jesus is using to help us to understand the kingdom, it's not an event. It's not just a quick one-time event that all of a sudden things are going to change and things are going to turn around. It's a process that is going to take place. You see, with Jesus' ministry, we don't see him going to Caesar. We don't see him going to kings and rulers to challenge them, to overthrow them, to take them down. We don't see him gathering an army ready to go into battle and prepared to fight to bring in this new kingdom. We don't see him go straight to Jerusalem. But he starts at home 
He starts in Galilee, where he grew up, where he lived, where his family were, where his friends would have been. And it's there that he starts to sow the seeds of the kingdom. It's there that he starts to teach. It's there that he starts to heal. It's there that he starts to gather and to call and to bring people together. The kingdom starts with small beginnings. And that's what these parables show us. It's that little seed. It's that little seed that falls into the ground and dies, but then growth comes. One of the things that really, really struck me as I was preparing for this morning and thinking about this morning and what God really just revealed to me is this is that it's about people. This establishment of this kingdom, this growth of this kingdom comes through God, through Jesus being among the people. We see large crowds. We see them with small groups. We see him with individuals. We see he calls fishermen. He calls tax collectors. He spent time with all sorts of different people. Some followed. Some rejected him. Some challenged him. They didn't like what he had to say. Others wholeheartedly gave up everything that they had in order to, to follow him. And to give their lives for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus spent time with people. He invested in people. And this is how the kingdom was, was coming. Now in these parables we have small beginnings. But these seeds don't stay buried. Growth comes. But it comes over time. It can be frustrating. Particularly if we're trying to grow stuff. That it, you don't just plant it. There it's there already. That's not how it works. There's a process isn't there that takes place. And sometimes we can, we can plant something and, and we can think, oh, surely something should have happened by now. It seems to be taking a, a long time. But we have to, there's a process that has to take place. But the growth comes. The growth does come over time. In that first parable, someone sows the seed, scatters the seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. It's this process, night and day, night and day, just waiting waiting, I've done what I can do, I've planted let's just wait and wait and gradually over time, night and day night and day, growth comes and the harvest ripens and is prepared you see this kingdom I love this phrase that I've heard a few times, this kingdom is an upside down kingdom and what people mean when they say it's an upside down kingdom is it's upside down in relation to other earthly kingdoms and the way that we understand things to work and the way that people think that life should be. And the way that people think that kingdoms should be. And the way that people think that we should give our lives for. You see, this kingdom uh, flips, uh, flips earthly kingdoms on its head. Later on in Mark, in chapter 10, it says this about Jesus. It says that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the king of this upside down kingdom is not like other kings. Because he did not come to, to be served. He came to give of himself to the point where he laid his life down for many. The king of the kingdom is not one who takes, but he's one who gives. And it's the king of the kingdom who sets the tone for the citizens of the kingdom. You see, in God's kingdom, the greatest person... Do you know what scriptures say who the greatest person is in God's kingdom? 
is the weakest person. In God's kingdom, the way to fullness is to empty yourself. Doesn't it just seem counterintuitive, these things? That's because this kingdom flips our understanding of kingdoms on its head. It flips earthly kingdoms on its head. In God's kingdom, God's kingdom is to love and serve the poor, to do mercy and seek justice, to stand with the oppressed, not to gather things for yourself, but to store up your treasure in heaven where things will last, to love your enemies, to forgive, to seek peace. These are the principles of the kingdom of God. And you can see they stand completely counter to the kingdoms of the earth and the wisdom of the earth and the advice of the earth. In Romans 10, 15, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You see, for those who are following Jesus, for those who, as we've said, have put their trust in Jesus and have said, actually, I've got no way of being reconciled to the Father in and of myself apart from the work of Christ on my behalf and have repented of their old life, turned away from their old way of living and said, Jesus, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I'm going to live with you as the king. I'm going to live with you, uh, not as the kingdom of, of, of man, but as part of the kingdom of heaven. And so for those who are following Jesus with the Holy Spirit's help and power and leading, they are to keep announcing the good news of this upside down kingdom. When Jesus gathered the first disciples, the, the, the first apostles together, he said, I've gathered you together because you're going to do the things that I'm doing in healing the sick and preaching the gospel, in teaching the people. He's equipping them to go and do what he was doing in seeing the kingdom come. And that is true not just of them, but of all of those who are following Jesus. All of those who are disciples of Jesus. We've been thinking about this a lot over the last few months, that God's salvation is not just about you, but about the world. And if we live with the mentality that actually the gospel, the good news of the gospel is about me first and foremost getting my ticket to heaven, then we've completely missed, we've, we've missed something major. Because the gospel is not primarily just about you, but about the world. About all of creation that has been broken, being restored. You see, we're not just to save souls, but we are to love and care for and serve our neighbours. We are to seek the welfare of the places where God has called us to be. God's rule and reign permeate in every part of society. That's what it looks like for God's kingdom to grow and to advance. His rule and reign permeate in every part of society, bringing God's love and grace to all, whether through the arts whether through business, whether through politics, whether through our work, every area of life to be lived for the kingdom and reflecting and demonstrating the kingdom. One other thing that struck me particularly as I was thinking about this, uh, these parables of the kingdom and trying to grasp something of what the kingdom of God is about I was reminded actually, or it struck me that the kingdom is not just to be announced, but it's also to be prayed, to be prayed in. You know, when Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 9, this is how Jesus taught them to pray. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We should be praying in the kingdom. We should be crying out to God daily that his kingdom would come. More of his rule and reign in the lives of people on earth. Moving, permeating through every part of society. His kingdom coming, God's will being done. Overriding the will of others, but God's will being done. But within that, don't we see in here as well, we see forgiveness. We see obedience that we're, we're, we're meant to be living out as well. Those are all kingdom things. That's what it means to live as those of the kingdom. And it struck me as I was thinking about this. Do we often think in terms of the kingdom? It strikes me that we don't often talk about the kingdom. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we don't really talk so much about the kingdom. But that's primarily what Jesus spent his time proclaiming and teaching. And the other question is this. Are we daily seeking the kingdom come? In my prayer life, I can't say that's always, that's always true. Quite often I'll pray for a lot of stuff that's going on in my life. But actually, am I wanting to see God's kingdom come and his will being done throughout the earth? Paul Tripp, who I think he's a wonderful teacher and, and writer, comes back to, to this idea of process or event. He says that we want the process of the gospel to be an event. As in, we want to see immediate results of the gospel. We want to see immediate results of the good news. We want to see people getting saved straight away as soon as we share the gospel with them. We want to see lives being changed immediately. And we often want the process of the gospel to be an event. But then he goes on to say this. He says, oh, you, oh, you struggle with that as a husband and wife. You struggle with that for your children. You struggle with that as you're sharing the gospel with somebody. You struggle with that as you look at the church. You struggle with that as you look at the surrounding world and you wonder if all this planting actually is doing anything. Who can relate to that? We can often want it to be an event that it just suddenly happens, that something clicks and something happens rather than seeing that actually it's a process. See, we're to seek daily God's kingdom. Pray for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. Plant those seeds of the kingdom in our lives through sharing the gospel through obedience to God through living our lives with him as king for other people to, to, to watch on and see what it means to be a follower of Jesus but know this the harvest does not belong to us the harvest is the Lord's he brings the growth he is the Lord of the harvest but by his grace and by some sheer act of love, he has called us to be a part of this kingdom. To be those who sow the seeds of the kingdom. For those who uh, are, are, are um, citizens of heaven yet living here on earth. See, the kingdom is growing. God's kingdom is growing and it is continuing to grow. Praise God. And as I'm coming in to close now, I just very quickly want to just take us back 
to the start. Because in both of these parables, if you like, we see the culmination of the kingdom. In the first parable, we see this, don't we? That um, Let's get back to Mark. We see that the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So growth over time. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. There's a culmination. A fulfillment point. And then we saw as well, didn't we, in that second one of this great tree that grows and grows larger than any tree on the earth that provides shelter and a home and a place for the birds to nest. And as we've already considered, this connecting point, this bridge between heaven and earth, there's a culmination of that growth into its finality. Jesus will return for his bride, the church. That is the day that we are longing for, the day that we are looking for, the day that Jesus will return for his bride, the church, and we will be with him forever, where he will gather up those who are in his kingdom and we will dwell with him forever. And a few weeks ago, at the end of our Good News series, we were reflecting on how there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth where the old will pass away and the new will come and the kingdom will be finally realised the home we were built for. I love that. The home that we were built, we were built for will finally fully be realised. The kingdom of God fully come totally fulfilled, reaching that culmination point, new heavens, new earth, kingdom fully realised, the home we were built for. See, out of small beginnings comes a kingdom that will transform the world as we know it. It will not just impact tiny parts or just a few people, a few groups here and there. It will transform the world as we know it. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6 to 11, speaking of Jesus, says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That seed dropped into the ground. That seed has to die. In order for life to come. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This upside down kingdom will be a worldwide, eternal kingdom. Just to finish, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. I'd like you to come and pray the Lord's Prayer with me, as together we come before God and cry out for His kingdom to come, and for His will to be done. In our lives, but wider, into our neighbourhoods, into our communities, among our neighbours, in our workplaces, across the world, 
across the whole of creation. So I invite you to pray this with me. The version we have on the screen has some old language. We've got some, some lies and arts. And I thought, oh, do I need to change it? I thought, no. Because this is a prayer that's been prayed by millions over the centuries. God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And this morning, as we come to pray this, and whenever we pray this prayer, we're joining with millions of others across the centuries who have cried out the same thing, seeking God for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And so our voices today join with those that are echoing throughout eternity. So let's add our voices to those voices and know that this upside down kingdom will be a worldwide eternal kingdom. When Christ returns, it will reach its fulfillment. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.